Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut with your host, Rebecca Coombs. On today's show, episode six of the Healthy Gut Podcast, we're joined by Katie Caldwell, who's a writer, social worker and activist in Honolulu, Hawaii. She teaches gender studies and social work at the University of Hawaii, and she has suffered from SIBO, H. pylori, Hashimoto's disease and ovarian cancer. She's got a popular blog where she discusses health, travel, fitness, love and relationships with a high level of snark and sarcasm. She's the administrator for one of the largest SIBO support groups in the world via Facebook and has a strong professional background in domestic violence, sexual violence and gender, race, queer studies. She loves cats, pizza, running, bourbon and ridiculous puns. I first connected with Katie via that Facebook group and we were going through our SIBO treatment and journeys at very similar times and I often look to her because she just um, seemed to know so much when I felt like I was right at the beginning of my journey. So we talk around her experience with SIBO. She's a lucky one. She was diagnosed pretty early on when things started to go wrong. She has experienced that, you know, awful Uh, experience I think anyway of being congratulated on a pregnancy that is only a SIBO baby. She's tried various different treatments and um, she talks around having to change her the food that she was eating because the initial diet protocol that she followed just wasn't working for her. We also talk about the importance of really listening to your body, understanding the symptoms, and if the symptoms aren't going away, persevering to uncover what they might be. And in Katie's case, she discovered that not only did she have H. pylori, which was giving her a a terrible burning, gnawing sensation in her gut, but she discovered she also had ovarian cancer, and that had been causing a lot of the bloating. We also talk about how she has done some genetic testing and that it was actually, uh, it demonstrated that she was going to be susceptible to developing ovarian cancer, also uh, susceptible to depression, gut orders, MTHFR uh, and fat malabsorption. I love the concept of toxic positivity and we talk about that a lot and I think for anybody listening uh, today that is experiencing SIBO or other digestive disorders, this topic I'm sure will resonate with you. And it's around, we have the right to feel our emotions. We don't always need to put a positive spin or a positive face on things, that it is okay 
to mourn the loss of our, our life as we once knew it. It's okay to feel angry and upset and perhaps even depressed. Um, and so we talk about toxic positivity and, and Katie's perspective on that, as well as the impact chronic illness uh, like SIBO or other conditions has on our friends, families and uh, partners. So I hope you enjoy episode six of the Healthy Gut Podcast with Katie Coldwell. Welcome to the show, Katie Caldwell. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for being a guest with the Healthy Gut Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Aloha from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hawaii is on my hit list of places to go. I've seen a lot of the world and now Australia, um, we have direct flights to Hawaii and I can't wait to get myself there one day. Like, just looks so beautiful. It is. It should be on your list. It's pretty incredible. Um, yeah. Never been to Australia either, so that's on my list. Yeah, well, now we, we can do a swap. Let's do a house swap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do so, it. So, yeah, totally. It's amazing what SIBO can do. It brings people together. With through <laughs> adversity comes positivity. <laughs> and we know that we all have all the cooking tools we need, right? So, exactly. we're safe. <laughs> exactly. So, for the listeners of today's podcast, uh, so Katie and I connected on a Facebook group for SIBO, for people with SIBO. Um, uh, way back when I first got diagnosed in early 2015, her name just kept popping up and she was someone who was also going through the condition. Uh, and I reached out to Katie and asked if she would very kindly come onto the podcast to talk about life with SIBO as somebody that has lived it, breathed it, dealt with it, dealing with it currently and all of the associated conditions and, and scenarios that happen with SIBO. So, I'd love for you, Katie, to talk about your journey. Like what happened to, for you to finally find out that you had SIBO and how long were you dealing with symptoms before you actually got a diagnosis? Well, I was quite lucky in that I had a really excellent practitioner straight away. Um, I knew I had some health struggles ha happening um, I suspected thyroid struggles uh, or issues because that runs in my family. Um, and I was having some trouble losing weight. Um, and I'm an avid distance runner. And at the time, I was running about 55 miles a week um, and still just slowly and steadily gaining weight and feeling very tired and run down. Um, so I'd seen a few doctors. They seemed very unconcerned when they ran thyroid panels. Um, but I just knew something was wrong. And I had talked for years about seeing a naturopathic doctor, but I'd never done it. <laughs> and after getting nowhere with standard Western docs, um, I finally, you know, went online, went on to Yelp and looked for the very best naturopath on the island of Oahu where I live. Um, and lo and behold, the top rated one was on my very block um, where I live. And I thought, well, if that isn't a sign, I don't know what is. So I went to see her and I just loved her immediately. She breezed into the room all dewy skinned and rosy cheeked and just had this glow of someone that radiates health. And I just, I remember thinking, make me like you. Totally. <laughs> she, um, within a few weeks, diagnosed me with Hashimoto's, um, which is an autoimmune thyroid illness. And, um, 
I thought it was that simple. I would take some thyroid meds. You know, I, I was put on Nature Throid, which is um, a porcine desiccated thyroid. Um, and I thought, I'll get better. Yay. And for a while, it was a little better. I did feel more energetic. I did lose weight. Um, and shortly thereafter, my husband and I went on a five-week trip to France and Morocco. And we had a blast, and I felt fantastic while I was abroad. I ate whatever I wanted, and my digestion greatly improved while I was there, even though I was eating things that I normally avoided. Um, I mean, I had gluten and pasta and wine and beer, and I was, I was just in heaven. Um, and I think there's this assumption or misconception that everyone that has SIBO maybe got it from treating their body badly or eating terribly, but that was not at all the case for me. I had long been a healthy eater and avid exerciser. Um, and as soon as I stepped foot on U.S. soil again, my digestion started getting super funky. And then came the bloating. You know, the, the bloating we're all so familiar with and loathe so fiercely. Um, I really tried to ignore it for a while, but it became so out of control that my husband and I would just sit on the couch and marvel at its size together. <laughs> um, and finally, a few weeks after returning home, I was standing in line at the food market and someone said, oh, you're pregnant. You're all belly. Lucky you. And I um. remember just being <laughs> horrified. Um, but I took a beat and I smiled and rubbed my little bacteria baby <laughs> and just said, thank you. And then I immediately rushed home and called my new doctor. And it was so funny because within three minutes on the phone with her, she said, I think we need to test you for something called SIBO. And that was that. So it's been very sad for me to watch people struggle to find a practitioner that even knew what SIBO was, let alone how to treat it, when I had someone within three minutes that heard the symptoms and was like, I think this is SIBO. Hallelujah. Like, I'm so happy to hear that there is a positive story out there of finding uh, finding a practitioner and getting a really quick diagnosis. That's, you know, ha yay. It's yeah, <laughs> it, awesome. I think I am an anomaly, yes. <laughs> Sadly, I think you are. And I know when I think about my own journey and years of countless and fruitless visits to doctors and I had exactly the same thing where I have been congratulated by strangers for my pregnancy and it's just <laughs> my bacteria baby just like yours and you know even with that uh, doctors are still saying well you've just got IBS just deal with it right so I'm so happy to hear that uh, that you were able to get diagnosed quickly and that really should be what it looks like and hopefully with all the advocacy and, and awareness that people like yourself and I and others are doing hopefully that will be a reality in the not too distant future yes absolutely one can yeah <laughs> so you you so you, from that point um, she I'm assuming she ran a breath test with you did she to diagnose you with SIBO Yes, we did the standard um, um, breath test, you know, measuring hydrogen and methane, um, lactulose. And um, I had high hydrogen. I topped out at 133. Um, it was actually the highest she had ever seen at that point. She treats SIBO a lot. Um, but since then, I've heard of people with numbers in the 300s and 400s through my blog, which is just insanity. Um, I thought I had high numbers, but I've heard much higher since. 
Mm. And I, I, I was hydrogen dominant. I can't think of what my numbers were off the top of my head now, but they were pretty high. They kind of skyrocketed and I remember my naturopath going, wow, you <laughs> definitely got SIBO. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> so what did treatment look like for you and how quickly did she get you onto a treatment protocol? Very quickly. Um, as soon as we got the results back that day, she ordered Zyfaxin. Um, and I did the standard stuff that I think a lot of people do. Um, I did three rounds of Zyfaxin um, with a mountain of supplements um, combined with acupuncture and some vagus nerve exercises. Um, I did the SCD diet plus low FODMAP strictly without a single cheat for three months straight. But in doing all of that, I did not notice a single bit of difference. I quite literally felt the exact same. Um, so I went back to her and said that whatever this is isn't working. We need to do something else. So then we switched to herbal antibiotics, and I took berberine, neem, and ADP, which is um, you know the pill form of oregano oil, and did that for two months um, in super high doses, also combined with the SCD and low FODMAP diet. And again, no difference. Um, I still had terrible diarrhea. was down to 97 pounds at that point. I'm 5'4", so that was quite small. Um, had horrible bloating and stomach pain pretty much every day. Um, so in a moment of frustration, <laughs> I went to see her again and said, let's just do the damn elemental. I'm just, I've got to do something. And that was my last resort sort of option. But at that point, nothing else was working. Um, so we talked through elemental diet options. Um, should I explain what the elemental is? It would be great for anyone that's listening that doesn't know or hasn't heard of it yet. Okay, so the elemental diet is um, an all-liquid diet that typically SIBOers um, partake in for two to three weeks, and it's designed to starve out the bacteria. So it's actually a pre-digested solution. It's kind of compared to breast milk in that way, in that your body stops digesting. It takes all the work out for your body, um, and it just nourishes you. It keeps you alive um, while starving out the bacteria. Um, so it can be quite effective. There are, there are only two studies done <laughs> on the elemental for SIBO specifically. Um, and so they propose that this has an 80 to 85% success rate. With only two studies, I don't know how we can, you know, concretely say that that's actually true. But in those two studies, those were the numbers. Um, so those studies used a solution called Vivanex. Um, there are multiple options now, um, like Absorb Plus or, um, oh, I'm going to forget the other names. Um, I've seen, I think, about five elemental diet options now. Um, but because the studies use Vivanex, my doctor and I talked it through, and we decided that that's the one we would go for. Um, I just didn't want to get to the end of the elemental, this like incredibly difficult diet to follow through with, and think, what if I had done the one that was studied, you know, if, if the numbers didn't come back pleasing to me? <laughs> yeah. So that's where we were. And I did it for 23 days, um, combined with a round of Zyfaxin, which was two weeks so I did that together. I just kind of wanted to hit it with everything I could find. And then the third week, I followed up with herbal antibiotics again, um, along with the elemental. Um, and with the elemental, you cannot eat anything. You cannot have tea. You cannot have coffee. It is just these liquid shakes that taste disgusting and smell horrible. <laughs> 
Um, I remember seeing your blog at the time when you were doing it, and there was a photo of you in a in a lecture theatre or something like that, and with your shake, with your like your uh, <laughs> elemental diet, <laughs> talking about how you know everyone was giving you funny looks because they could smell this gross stuff that you were drinking. <laughs> oh yeah, my husband lovingly referred to it as the fart shake because it smelled oh. like just rotten eggs. It's this terrible smell. Um, yeah. Wow, I didn't realize. I mean, I I haven't done the elemental diet and I did try a sample of the new, it seems vastly improved flavored elemental at the SIBO Symposium in Portland this Mm -hmm. year. But um, I haven't tried the one that you did. And I'm glad that I haven't if (laughs) (laughs) if it's really that bad. It's pretty bad. I'm not, I do not want to sugarcoat it for anybody that's wanting to try it. But really, you do get used to it. Um, it becomes normal. You know, you just have this new normal you adjust to and that's what it is. Um, and the taste, I always say, is not the hardest part of the elemental. You get past that mm-hmm. relatively quickly. You know, in the first four or five days, it's you don't even struggle. You just chug those bad boys. <laughs> yeah. So what was the hardest part? Was it just the physicality of not chewing, not eating food? I think so. You intuitively just want to eat. So the shakes are designed to fill you up and they do. Um, It's funny. If I started to feel hunger, I would have a shake. And you know, when you eat a big meal, it almost takes a while for that meal to settle in and it takes a while for you to feel full, which is why we're supposed Mm. to as humans eat slowly. Um, But when I had two sips of the shake, it would just, it would hit my system so quickly. I would immediately start feeling satisfied. Um, Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it was very odd, and I became so accustomed to it that even after I finished the 23 days, I craved the shake. Um, like, I had cravings for it. Wow, and, I, and can, you, can you imagine that you would have ever felt like that when you first took that very oh, first sip of God, no. <laughs> that disgusting-tasting formula? Never. I, I wrote in my blog that I remember waking up the first morning, and I was almost, like, stupidly excited to try it. Like I was almost a little giddy, like, okay, I'm going to do this new diet and this is going to work. And I remember taking my first sip and just being like, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) This is so disgusting. (laughs) You stupid, stupid girl. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, And how did you manage, because there are, I know there's a lot of people thinking, should I do the elemental diet? Maybe that's the next step. They've tried a round of, or several rounds of antibiotics. They've perhaps tried some herbs as well and nothing's working. And so they're now looking down the barrel of the elemental diet. How did you manage life whilst dealing with having to not eat and drink this solution instead? It's funny. Um, I bet my answer would be different if we were talking at that time versus now, um, you know, it's like repression theory. (laughs) You repress the bad parts. Um, so looking back, it, it seems like it wasn't that bad. It was, it was fine. It went relatively quickly. I mean, I worked, I ran, I did my normal things, but of course in the middle of it, it was a lot harder than that. Um, so, uh, my, my memory of it is probably quite fuzzy, but, um, I do notice that I seem to have an easier time than a lot of other people do. Um, And I'm not sure why that is. Maybe that's formula based. Um, I have done little mini elementals with like Absorb Plus and I do feel much hungrier on that solution. So there's something about the makeup of that elemental that doesn't fill me up the same way. Um, And when you're hungry, you're grumpy and you're tired and you're lethargic. So it really does affect your life. 
Um, but since I never felt super hungry, even though I wanted to eat and smells really bothered me, um, I wasn't super grumpy. And um, I did take the exercising down significantly while I was on the diet, but I still did it. I still ran every other day. I still lifted weights. I worked full time. Um, I slept great. That was one of the added benefits. Um, as a person that struggles with sleep issues, I was out cold by 9.30 or 10 every night, which is very rare for me. Um, so I did not struggle as hard as some others that I've seen. Some others have terrible stomach pain. They have terrible die-off symptoms. I had no die-off symptoms. I think I had maybe a slight headache the first few days, and that was it. But it was very mild. Um, I remember thinking oh my gosh, I have no die-off symptoms. Nothing is dying. Like something is wrong. This isn't working. But it ultimately did work. So I was just one of those strange people, I guess, that didn't experience those things. And that's a, I mean, that's great that you didn't deal with die-off because some people can be horrendously unwell with their die-off symptoms. Yes. No, I felt, I got die-off for probably about a week, a week and a half. And I felt like I was coming down with the flu. I felt achy and my fingers hurt, like every joint in my body hurt. Mm. I was really foul mooded and <laughs> just, you know, just pretty cross and angry with the world and my stomach and my, my digestive system was just in a horrible state and I was thinking I'm worse than I was before I started this <laughs> stupid program. Like how, how am I getting better? This is not better. This is worse. Right. <laughs> And my die-off symptoms weren't that bad in comparison to others. So, you know, hallelujah for you not having to deal with horrible die-off. <laughs> yeah, it was lucky. Um, I don't know why that is. I still don't really know because so many people seem to report die-off symptoms. Um, I mean, I did have some some moments where I was tired. That happened, um, you know, low energy. Or I, I always try to tell people if they're going to do the elemental to make sure to drink enough shakes. Um, I think some people try not to for some reason. Um, so one thing I did was if, if I was even slightly hungry, I would make myself a shake, um, because that really staved off getting to that point where you get really grumpy and really, um, feeling really lethargic and hungry, um, hangry <laughs> as mm -hmm. they call it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, uh, Dr. Alison Seebecker at the SIBO symposium talking about, uh, one of the practitioners there raised the question of, you know, what do you do with your patients who lose excessive amounts of weight when they're doing the elemental diet? And I remember uh, Dr. Seebecker saying, if it's done correctly, you won't lose significant amounts of weight because you actually get all of the nutrients that you need. What generally happens, though, is that people avoid drinking the shake. So they're mm -hmm. basically going into starvation and that's why they're losing a lot of weight. Did you, how did, it, how did were the scales for you? after three weeks of the elemental like did you notice a, a, a difference in your weight was there much of a drop or did you stay about the same um it wasn't too bad I I do tend to agree with what she said um and I I think that's sometimes I think that's why people experience such rough symptoms with the elemental they're just not eating quote unquote eating enough um so I lost about six pounds total which is really isn't much and I was quite small so that was a little bit of a concern but my doctor assured me, I've seen people do this. As soon as you start eating again, you're going to gain it back. And that's exactly what happened. So I did lose six pounds that I did not need to lose. But within, I would say within three weeks, it had come right back on. Um, so that wasn't such a concern for me. And I, I try to ease people's fears um, where that is concerned. 
Wonderful. And so you got through the elemental diet and you hadn't lost too much weight uh, and you'd been able to somehow <laughs> bear the taste of the, the shakes. <laughs> what happened then with your SIBO and your symptoms? How did you feel at the end of it? I felt pretty great. Um, in fact, I did the two extra days because I was feeling so good and I had enough shakes to keep going. So... Um, I did a breath test and then continued on for a couple of days, got the negative test back through a little mini party in my doctor's office. I about kissed her on the lips, actually. Um, and then slowly introduced food back in, starting with broth and chicken and like moist meats like turkey um, and then pureed vegetables, things like that. And then I had decided while I was on the elemental and had done lots of research to completely abandon SCD and low FODMAP. It was not working for me at all. Um, it made me feel angry and deprived. <laughs> so mm. I had learned of the fast track diet from a friend and decided that that's the route I was going to go. So um, immediately started on the fast track diet after the elemental. Um I still had some issues. The bloating never went away. Um, through the elemental, it, it, it never went, um, like, completely. It did lessen. Um, it was smaller, but it never completely went away. So that worried me as well during the elemental because I thought, why am I so bloated? I mean, there's clearly still something making me, you know, distended. Um, so that... that persisted unfortunately <laughs> and but my digestion symptoms as soon as I started eating again my stools were better um, you know no more diarrhea no more stomach pain I remember eating out for the first time like two weeks after the elemental and just feeling like a queen um, so I really felt quite good afterward um, but that was super short-lived um, right. because yeah because I had other issues he took a look and said oh we definitely need to take this out um, so we arranged for surgery to have my left ovary and the tumor removed and at this point there was no way to biopsy it so cancer wasn't even a concern on my mind it really wasn't um, I really just thought oh I have this history of PCOS they're just going to remove this weird mass and everything's going to be fine I wasn't remotely worried um and they took it out. It was laparoscopic. The surgery was easy peasy. I mean, my recovery was a breeze. Um, and that was my first experience with surgery. I've never had, I've never even had like a broken bone. Um, so it wasn't until a week later when they got the biopsy report that they found that it indeed was ovarian cancer. And the tumor was huge. It was the size of a deflated football, American football. Wow. <laughs> Um, so Gosh. that was what was causing so much of the bloating and it was pushing on, um, my bladder, which caused the frequent urination. And then it was pushing on my spine, which was causing the, the back pain. Mm. Um, so as soon as they took that out, the, the back pain was completely gone. My bloating was significantly decreased. I mean, it was like somebody just deflated a balloon in my stomach. It was very strange. Um, and Obviously, dealing with a cancer diagnosis isn't what I thought I was going in for, um, but it was almost a relief to know that they caught it early, we were able to get it out, um, and that maybe I was sort of on this path to actually healing now. Because it kind of felt like, okay, this is the big mama diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's not going to continue after this. This is it. 
So, yeah. And <laughs> the big C, big cancer fear is so real, uh, especially for for those of us that have had chronic illness, chronic conditions, SIBO is so rarely in isolation and there's such a big correlation, particularly with women. And so you've you've been through the absolute ringer with your health. Um, was, was that the end of your health journey or has there been more since um, dealing with ovarian cancer? It wasn't the end. Um, I mean, after the diagnosis and the surgery, um, we did want to keep going with treatment. So um, I had the option of chemo, um, but the type of chemo, so the, the type of cancer I had was called granulosa cell, and it's quite rare. It's less than 3% of the population. So um, because of that, there's only really one standard chemo they use for it, um, and it is quite toxic. Um, I mean, it's one of the harshest chemos you can take. And since I was such an early stage, I really did not want to blast my body with that kind of poison. Um, and I really respect anybody's decision to take chemo or not, but this was just mine at that point. Um, and because of this particular cancer, there have been lots of studies surrounding um, high-dose vitamin C treatments for granulosa cell having really good results, even better than chemo. So because of that, my ND and I decided to do what they call natural chemo, which is um, high-dose vitamin C. It's about 50 grams, and it's just like a chemo in that it's a drip process. So you go to the doctor, and you snuggle up in a blanket, and they you know, give you this freezing cold drip in your arm for a few hours, and you do that twice a week. So I did that for about 24 weeks. Um, so that was just sort of an extra thing we wanted to do to combat what was happening in my body and to help help kill any remain, remaining cancer cells that they weren't able to extract from the surgery. Mm, wow. And, um, and then after that, more things happened. We decided to do genetic testing because of some of my issues and a whole mess of stuff <laughs> came up there. It was like this little roadmap to all my health problems. It was really fascinating. Um, it showed that I am, um, I was sort of destined to have ovarian cancer based on my genetic makeup, which is quite interesting. Um, so you're like, I'd be interested to know what time frame this has spanned over from that first sort of an initial SIBO diagnosis to today. How long has that been? Um, the SIBO diagnosis came not quite two years ago. So it's been roughly two years, but a, a few months under. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm interested to know how, like, how has your mindset been through this whole period? Because it's been one hell of a journey for you. And like, I'm really interested to know, like, how you just get up and get on with every day. Like, what's been your kind of mechanisms to cope with, with all of this? Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Um, 
I'm not a naturally. I find it really saves me in relation to health problems. Um, if I can make fun of it, it just seems smaller somehow. <laughs> um, and I think others confuse a sense of humor with optimism or positivity. Um, I often talk with the newly diagnosed about grieving your old life some. I think most everyone has to do that a little when faced with any chronic illness or condition. And I think it's perfectly normal. It does affect your social life, your family life, your love life. A SIBO is not a sexy illness. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, there is a period of adjustment, and I really believe in allowing yourself to feel your feelings. Um, I am a social worker, so of course that's par for the course. But I truly think there should be space for honesty with our feelings. Um, it's okay to be a little depressed. It's okay to be a little angry. It's okay to feel a little guilty that you're being dramatic or wallowing a little. All of it is okay. Feelings are just feelings, is what I always say. They're not good or bad. They're just true and honest and real. Um, so I always try to give people space to just feel how they feel. Having said that, however, um, I also often think that it's it can get dangerous to set up camp in a dark space. And it can be a recipe for prolonged depression, which, of course, isn't going to help your health or your relationships or your self-esteem. So my best advice is usually just to wallow a little, let yourself feel sad or angry or whatever you may feel, and then try your best to find ways to deal and to cope. And those, those ways are going to be personal. Um, this is your new normal, and you have to adjust to that new normal. And that mindset shift takes some time, and that's okay. Um, I try to walk... A really fine line here, especially in the forum, because I don't like to push people into spaces they're not ready for, meaning if someone is very depressed about their SIBO, I don't want to belittle that depression or make them feel silly for it. But there were times when I, too, found it you know, depressing, so I, I remember that feeling. Um, however, perspective can be a really beautiful thing and a blessing. And as a social worker that has worked in things like domestic violence and sexual violence, I know that SIBO is sort of in the greater realm of things, um, fairly small and manageable. And even, the greater, in your, even in the greater realm of health problems, it's it's a fairly livable situation. But if you were like me and never experienced any health problems before, then a SIBO diagnosis can feel like the sky is falling. Um, I definitely went through a depression when I got diagnosed. And like you mentioned before, I really believe SIBO is a symptom of a larger issue. I think that many people that are newly diagnosed find out that they have SIBO and they think, yes, you know, an answer. I know it's wrong now and I can start to treat and get myself better. But for many of us, not all, but many of us, that's not the case. SIBO is an indication that something is going wrong with your body. It is usually a symptom of the thing instead of the actual thing, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, so getting a SIBO diagnosis can be like a first step in the journey and it absolutely was in mine and as far as coping um i want to be honest with you because i really believe in transparency um i've i i have struggled some in the past with the SIBO group um when i got diagnosed with cancer and i'm beyond it now and i'm actually a little ashamed of it now um, but it's true. When I first found out I had cancer, I joined a Facebook cancer group for my particular tumor type. Um, because like I mentioned, it was extremely rare and it was hard to find info about it. And it became very interesting to toggle back and forth between that group and the SIBO group. Um, you know, in the cancer group, there were literally women dying every day. 
their posts were about how to make sure their funeral arrangements were arranged so the burden didn't fall on their children or how to get through the day at work when they were puking from chemo up to 14 times a day because they couldn't quit work because they needed insurance, you know, to pay for the chemo. And um, then I would switch to the SIBO group and there would be this dramatic, you know, almost borderline suicidal post about missing chocolate or beer. And I would get angry. Um, and I would slam my computer shut and I would just think, wow, I just wish I could put those people in the cancer group for just one day, you know, and just like shove perspective down their throats. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, don't get me wrong, I'm not proud of these thoughts <laughs> or my behavior here. Um, it really wasn't very fair of me at all. I just, again, want to be honest. Um, and it took me some time to really find empathy with SIBOers again. I had to put myself back to where I was um, when I was first diagnosed and remember that it was a major lifestyle change. And just because I had, I had coped with it and gotten past that dark place didn't mean that I didn't have it myself. Um, so being judgmental of their process was wrong and unfair and not, you know, the person I want to be. So now I can find empathy with both groups and I can see it for what it is in a more balanced way. Um, obviously I believe, you know, cancer is more serious. There's no denying that. But again, if you've never had to deal with health problems before, SIBO can be very difficult and unfair. And I'm glad that I was finally able to work through my feelings of hostility about both. Um, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to take on, you know, the admin position of that group because it wouldn't have been ethical for me as a person or even as a social worker. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really agree with what you've said about SIBO being a journey. And I know like for myself, I look back over the last two years because I'm almost at the two-year mark of my diagnosis with SIBO as well. And I have changed dramatically from who I was two years ago. And I am, you know, I've had a whole bunch of other conditions come out and I'm currently testing for the MTHFR gene mutation as well. And, you know, there's so, so many similarities between you and I, Katie. Um, <laughs> but I remember being that person upon diagnosis going, I'm just going to smash this. I'm going to get rid of it as quickly as I can and then I'll be fine. Then I'll be perfect. And my health is going to be amazing and I'm going to be the quickest person ever to have beaten SIBO. And I wasn't <laughs> appreciating that SIBO was just a symptom of my body being disordered and it had just screamed loud and long enough for me to have finally done something about it. And now I'm kind of like peeling back the layer upon layer of the onion skins, those onions we can't eat anymore, um, to, to figure out, well, what, what's the core of my problems? What's really going on deep down in there to make me present with things like SIBO and endometriosis and hemochromatosis and and if you know I do have positive MTHFR gene mutation testing which my naturopath is convinced I do have it uh, <laughs> you know what what's caused all of these things so I think that's really the message I hope that anyone listening today uh, gets out of our chat is that SIBO for a lot of people is just the beginning. It's the tip of the iceberg and you really do need to play private investigator into your own health, take your own health into your hands and find a person or a team of practitioners that are willing to work with you and keep going, keep looking. Absolutely. Yeah. How did you manage friends, family and your husband with, uh, with all of these conditions uh, and particularly around having to change your diet so dramatically? Because it, it doesn't just impact us as SIBOers, it impacts our little community, the community of people that we live with, live 
and live within. How did you cope with that? Um, well, my husband, Joe, kind of learned along with me. Um, really, he was pretty great, actually. He was supportive without being overbearing. Um, he let me try my crazy diets, <laughs> even though I know he had some strong opinions about them. He very um, intelligently kept those to himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, he hugged me when I was frustrated. You know, he didn't say a word when large doctor bills came in and took care of me after surgery and eats bland foods with me. But he got tired of it, too. Um, he got tired of me always talking about my health. You do tend to get a little obsessed at first, I think, which is a totally normal reaction. Um, and for a while, it was all I thought about, and that got very burdensome for him. And I finally uh, recognized that, and I really do understand it. I've been a caretaker for someone else that was ill, and there there is something called caretaker's fatigue, um, where there's just only so much empathy you can muster when a person's world is all about illness. Um, and... It, I recognized he was struggling and I began to readjust and I learned how to stop making my illness my world, which ultimately was healthier for me and my relationships. Um, and as for others, my friends don't still entirely get it, but I don't really expect them to. Um, once I turned that corner of not allowing the illness to rule me, things really did improve as far as my relationships were concerned. Um, even while on the elemental diet, I made decisions to go to things like birthday parties at restaurants with my stupid stinky shake <laughs> while my friends ate and drank. And yes, it was hard and a little awkward, but it, it did help me to be out with them. And I think it helped them to see also what I was dealing with firsthand. They saw me get skinny. They saw me, you know, drinking these disgusting things. Um, my sisters were pretty supportive. My oldest sister, especially, she has severe ulcerative colitis which is a hugely damaging and painful digestive illness, um, far more uh, dangerous um, than SIBO. But she listened to me whine anyway <laughs> and was sweet and supportive, even though she probably wanted to throw some perspective at me sometimes because her health problems were so much more severe, especially at first, um, than mine were. But I think I've been pretty lucky with the support system. Um, but it also that, helps to... Yeah, it, it is. And it, it does help to have some sort of understanding that it is hard for others, that they are going to get tired of listening to it. Um, I think having empathy for people in those situations, that you, you can think to yourself, yes, it's hard for me, and it is hard for the patient. Um, but it's no fun to be around someone that's complaining all the time or that is whining because they want cheese or <laughs> beer or whatever it is you're craving. Um, so it can really help to, yeah, I think keep some sensitivity toward your loved ones in this situation too. Definitely. And it's so hard at the time when you're going through it, when you're in the midst of it and it's new and you just feel like, you know, throwing a tantrum going, why me? Why is this happening yes. to me? It's not fair. No one else is dealing with this. And we become, <laughs> I think we can become quite annoying and painful and, and <laughs> with my own partner. Um, and actually I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to convince him to do a podcast episode with me so that we can talk about the SIBO journey from the partner's perspective. Mm -hmm. He's incredibly private and he's, I've still got some work to do to convince him on doing that. But <laughs> I really think it's important that us SIBOers uh, pause and think about the impact that, uh, that our condition is having on other people. And I know I did not think about my partner 
at all during <laughs> the early days of my SIBO and I would have been a right pain in the backside because I was just 100% focused on me. I couldn't look outside. I couldn't look external to my internal gut problems and I must have been a nightmare <laughs> and I now have <laughs> I now have perspective and I actually have apologized to him and said I'm sorry I must have been such a bitch to live with and you know thank you for standing by me so absolutely uh, you know I think we, we sometimes we need a bit of a slap <laughs> just to yeah. wake up. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be all about us, but it's hard to get there and, and sometimes it takes some time to get there. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it's, it was helpful for, for me to remember feeling that way about someone else. I took care of my mother when she was very ill and I knew her illness wasn't her fault. I knew she really was sick and felt terrible. And so it, I had these very conflicting feelings of almost resenting her for being sick um, but also feeling very sorry for her and very sad about her sickness. And it was it was quite confusing in my own head. And I remember thinking, that is how my husband is feeling. You know, he, he knows I'm not faking this. He does feel bad for me. He feels empathetic, but he's frustrated too. Definitely. So what does your sort of average day look like now? Are you... Are you through the worst of it? Are you still treating any of these conditions? Um, you know, I'd love to know where you're at today. Well, that has changed a little over the last week, actually. Um, I was on a daily basis feeling pretty good. Um, I know I'll likely never be where I used to be, and that's okay. Um, even with SIBO gone, I'm really prone to some digestive distress. Um, you know, some bloating, even though it's not in any, anywhere where it used to be. Um so I would have some bloating on occasion, occasionally some loose stools or some fatigue issues, but I stick to the fast track diet for the most part, but I am able to cheat a few times a week with almost whatever I want without too much trouble. Um, however, uh, as you saw, I'm sure I just traveled to Guam. I love traveling more than anything and got food poisoning. Um, and we with SIBO are very susceptible to food poisoning. And I really tried to do everything I could to stave it off because I did know it was a possibility, but it, it really got me. And I fear it's really set me back quite a bit. Um, it really did a number on my system. And ever since I've come home, I have not been the same. Um, and I don't know the extent of it yet. I haven't had a test. Um, I'm going to do some stool tests and make sure it's not a parasite or an amoeba. And I'm just sort of waiting to see if my system calms down. But I am having some symptoms again, so... It's possible it caused a relapse. It's possible everything will die down and I'll be okay. But um, just sort of, I'm in limbo a little bit with it right now. <laughs> mm. And I'm I'm an avid traveler like you are. And uh, one of the things that I've been really conscious of, I haven't, uh, well, I went to Europe um, as soon as I got um, my all clear diagnosis with SIBO. And a bit like you, when I was in France, I ate and drank, I drank wine and I drank, <laughs> ate bread and I had croissants and I literally had a gluten gorge uh, yeah. but I, I was able to survive it but I haven't left um, Australia since then and one of my kind of quiet little sort of in the back of my mind fears is I get food poisoning almost every time I leave Australia because <laughs> my gut is so susceptible to it yeah. and I don't want that to happen and I and but I'm not going to stop traveling so I've got I'm traveling to Thailand and Vietnam um, over Christmas and New Year's nice. and so I'm just going to have to work on well, what do I do to help prevent what I can and if I get something okay at least I know what it is I know what I can do and I just deal with it at the time and um, 
I, I like the comments that you made uh, on the Facebook group recently around you're not going to let SIBO or a disordered digestive system stop you from living your life and uh, that you love to travel. And I think that it's really important that we do the things we love because it's life. We should live how we <laughs> want to live and just manage the conditions as we need to. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So I hope you had a great time in Guam, even though it gave you some food poisoning. I did. Those two days were not so fun, but (laughs) the other two days were wonderful. We are already planning a trip in November to New Zealand, so we're still on that train. (laughs) Yeah, great. And you'll be so close to Australia. You should just pop over. I know. (laughs) Come and say hi. Right there. (laughs) There's a term that you use, uh, which I love, and it's toxic positivity. Can you tell me (laughs) a little bit about what you mean by toxic positivity? Yes, um, I am sort of obsessed with this concept, and I've done a lot of research around it. Um, I even did a formal research project on the concept in relation to women and the sort of pressures of perfectionism that women have um, in combination with toxic positivity. But it is a term coined by a woman named Barbara Ehrenreich. She's a feminist sociologist, and it is about this particularly American attitude Um, it's touted as more than just a temperament here in the States. It's actually treated as if positive thinking is the key to success and prosperity and health and happiness. And it can come from numerous sources. It it comes from churches in relation to how your sunny demeanor and ultimately positive outlook on your blessings will prosper you, you know, in this life and then in the afterlife. And it even comes from the medical profession, Um, that often shoves positive thinking down the throats of patients, telling them that positive thinking will help heal them and de-stress them. And um, it's especially something perpetuated and prescribed to by women because I think the pressure for women um, to be perfect is huge. You know, we're supposed to be the perfect spouse, the perfect mother, the perfect sister, all while looking eternally thin and beautiful and ageless ageless and healthy and... um, we're not supposed to be too aggressive because we'll be labeled a bitch. And we're not supposed to be too mousy because we're a pushover. And, you know, we're not supposed to be too sexual, um, but we're not supposed to be too prudish. And we're not supposed to be emotional because we'll be seen as premenstrual or overly dramatic. But we're also supposed to be simultaneously ever-nurturing, you know, which, of course, requires emotions. So the list of expectations and contradictions for women is sort of endless. So this idea of positivity or the glossing over of emotions to put on a show of happiness for others is especially, I think, a problem for women and for Americans, um, or maybe even just Westerners in general. And um, because of the extra pressures on women for to strive for perfection in nearly every aspect of our lives, I think we have a right to be angry. <laughs> you know, we have a right to feel stifled and trapped in these expectations that are unfair and ridiculous. And we have a right to feel bad about ourselves because of what we're taught that women have to be. And I think this notion of positivity can stifle emotions, leaving us feeling frustrated or lonely. Um, And I'm not saying life isn't full of blessings or that there is absolutely no merit to positivity. Um, I do believe in the power of honest perspective, as I mentioned earlier, but I think we as a society take it way too far. Um, Barbara has a lovely book called Bright-Sided, which talks about toxic positivity in relation to her cancer diagnosis. 
um, which is something I saw and experienced firsthand with my own cancer and my mother's. Um, people don't know what to say, so they think of silver lining scenarios. You know, at least you're losing weight, or at least you're not losing your hair. Um, and it becomes very stifling and makes the patient feel as if they're not allowed to feel upset, or most especially, they're not allowed to feel scared. Um, it can also cause feelings of failure, meaning, how do I explain this? Um, so many can shove the idea of positivity onto you um, that they convince you you might be able to heal yourself. But if you are unsuccessful, it sort of places this burden of failure and guilt on you, on the patient. Um, so they now have to deal with a cancer diagnosis and all of the scary things that a cancer diagnosis entails. Um, and they also have to deal with the guilt of not being able to heal themselves with this mystic power of positivity. And... Um, I don't know. I, I also think Americans often look at sadness and anger with disdain. We think these are quote unquote bad feelings, but they're just feelings. They're normal and human and something we all feel. And I feel like something that should all be allowed. And I would argue it's important to allow yourself to feel true feelings because only then can you really work through them and come out healthier on the other side. So I view toxic positivity as sort of a mask. It's something that helps others feel more comfortable. Um, and I often think of it as sort of a luxury for privileged people and a way to mask what someone is actually feeling inside. So that was very long-winded. Was that, <laughs> was that an that, okay no, explanation? I think that was great and that's so interesting and, and so so valid mm -hmm. and it really goes back to what you were saying earlier in our conversation today where it's okay to feel grief and it's okay to feel anger and annoyed and, and all the negative emotions that come with illness. Um, you don't want to stay there forever, but uh, it's fine to feel those things. And, and I look at myself and I think if, if I hadn't have felt my negative emotions, I perhaps wouldn't have been able to move forward because it was only by feeling those things that I was then able to start addressing some aspects in my life that I needed to change and they weren't positive aspects but I needed to feel pretty down about some things to move forward so absolutely it's yeah, yeah. it's just human <laughs> it is totally we've talked on and off uh, about the SIBO uh, discussion support Facebook group of which you're an administrator and it's a Facebook group that I stumbled across right in the early days of my diagnosis with SIBO and it was uh, it has definitely been a, a handy platform for me to ask lots of questions uh, and now that I'm sort of through the worst of my SIBO treatment I'm now able to help others I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the group how people can find it and what its purpose is. Sure um so you can find it by searching in the Facebook toolbar um, SIBO discussion slash support group. Um, it's that simple. That's the title. There are currently um, a little over 12,000 members. So it's quite a large group, um, which can sometimes be a little difficult because it moves so quickly. But there's so much information to be found on this page. Really some brilliant people. Um, and we try to keep it a support group. Um, we really try to make sure members are being supported. Um, I, I have great partners and the other two admins, so that helps tremendously. And um, my ultimate pet peeve in the group is when members tell other members what to do, you know, how to eat, how to treat their illness, how to feel, the sort of should people 
if you will, <laughs> as in you should take blank. Um, so one of our only rules is not to boss others around and not to give medical advice. Um, so we just want to protect our members' autonomy and the right to treat their bodies how they feel is right. Um, so we really do try to keep it kind and a place that is safe to express yourself if you're feeling depressed, express yourself if you're feeling excited because you had a perfect poop that morning, <laughs> whatever it is, you can celebrate it in the SIBO group. <laughs> um, it was developed by an admin called Kenny King, who is still an admin. And um, I believe it was, I hope I get this right. I believe it was started after the very first SIBO symposium where it was discussed that there was really nowhere to go for help or support. Um, and at that point, especially doctors really knew very little about SIBO. And so I really commend Kenny for creating this community that instills knowledge and support to so many others when you really can't find it elsewhere. And it is a, a great place to uh, find support and, like you say, share your highs and your lows with people that know exactly what you're going through, mm -hmm. uh, which you often don't have in your, in your own personal community of friends and family because often they have no idea what SIBO is all about and, and what it actually feels like. So uh, it's been a great support for me over the, the last two years and um, uh, I know it's a great support for others. I've, I've recommended it to other people that have been newly diagnosed and they've found that um, very useful. And you can dip in and dip out as much as you need to. So it's there if you need it. If you don't need it, you don't have to be in it. <laughs> um, it's been wonderful chatting to you today, Katie, and you've just given such a great insight and perspective in terms of the journey of the person with SIBO. Uh, you've got a wonderful blog. I love your blog. It's, uh, it's really great reading. Um, where is it? How can people find it? Uh, and how can people connect with you if they'd like to? Um, yeah, the best way, because the actual blog address is quite long, um, is to just Google the title, which is The Ballad of Joe and Katie, and it will come right up. And, um, you know, I started the blog as like sort of a travel lifestyle blog. We were living abroad at the time. Um, but I just, I, I really find it therapeutic to be very open about my illnesses. So I, I do talk about health, but I also talk about my life and travel and other things. Um, but The Ballad of Joe and Katie, it should come right up. It sorely needs to be updated, though. I have this bad habit of only writing when I feel inspired, which hasn't happened in a while. So um, I'll try to get another post up there for you guys. <laughs> um, also, a lot of people find the blog and they try to add me on Facebook, um, which I, I mean, no disrespect to anyone. And I feel really flattered that you feel like you know me through the blog and you want to connect with me, which is wonderful. But I do try to keep my Facebook fairly private. Um, but you can absolutely follow me on Instagram where I post everything from silly cat videos to recipes for SIBO. Um, and you can find me under my username there at Katie, K-A-T-I-E-M, as in Marie Caldwell. So Katie M. Caldwell. Um, or on Snapchat where I get even more honest. Um, Snapchat is really good for that because it's temporary so that, you know, it just shows these little glimpses of your daily life. And my name there is Katie Marie, spelled out. Um, and then CQLD. So Katie Marie CQLD. And there Wonderful. I just talk about my life and food and travels and my cat and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've put all those uh, links in the show notes below so that people can uh, just easily find them and click on them and, uh, and go and add you. Um, <laughs> now, I would love to know if you've got any advice for somebody with SIBO and, uh, and what that would be. 
Oh, sure. Um, I think I've covered a lot of it. Um, I would say, I know it's difficult in the beginning, but try your best to take it in stride. You know, allow yourself to grieve the changes in your life. Um, but again, try not to, to live in that space. Try not to let it take over your whole world. Um, do things to bring yourself perspective. One, one thing I often recommend is um, maybe to volunteer with groups that need your help and are struggling. Um, for example, that, that really helps me with that perspective piece. Because we are human and humans are egocentric. We are self-absorbed species. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Um, but there are things that we can do to sort of control that aspect. And try not to let it isolate you from friends and family too much. And to keep in mind to have compassion for those that might might get a little frustrated or fed up with you. Um, and if at all possible, as we've both mentioned on this podcast, try your best to find a good practitioner, someone that will actually listen to you. Um, women are notoriously dismissed by doctors and belittled and made to feel like it's all in our heads. And this is not my opinion. There's a ton of research to back up that statement. So be aggressive and be vigilant. We have... I think this weird power dynamic with doctors where we think they are the authorities, but no, we are the authorities on our bodies. We live in them and doctors work for us. Um, so if you expect one is not listening to you, either try and speak up and address it or just move on because you really deserve to be heard. Um, and lastly, I guess this may sound a little cheesy or silly, but try to get outside. <laughs> there is just something so truly healing about nature. Um, even if you're feeling terrible and all you can manage is to sit under a tree and read a book or a little walk, I feel like trying to get some nature in your world can really just help you feel more grounded um, and more grateful. I agree totally. <laughs> and I once you never feel worse after getting some fresh air. So exactly. getting outside is just so therapeutic, I think. Katie, it has been such a joy to have you on the podcast and uh, listening to your story as your own journey of, uh, of health and discovery um, around, you know, your own conditions and, and moving through them. Uh, and I know that that will uh, help others on their own journey. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us on the Healthy Gut Podcast today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And yeah. I, I really appreciate what you're trying to do and getting some some stuff out to the community that we sorely need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my my purpose. It's funny, as as hellish as uh, you know, my initial SIBO diagnosis seemed in the very early days. Uh, now I feel like it. I've uncovered the purpose of to, as to why I was put on this planet and that is to help others through their journey with uh, with SIBO and and broader health issues and to really uh, make some noise so that we are heard and we're not you know kept in the dark around these often quite painful and debilitating conditions and we can become our own advocates for our own better health so I just love what I what I do now and having the opportunity to connect with people just like yourself uh, to share stories. It's just an absolute honour uh, and, and I feel very privileged to be able to do that these days. So, you know, as weird as it is, thanks Sebo for <laughs> coming into my world. <laughs> None of this would have happened without it. <laughs> Never thought you'd be thanking Sebo, did you? 
I know. Bacteria but, you know, it's funny and uh, I've met some – I have met people – I have. I now have people in my life that I would never have met if it wasn't for SIBO. So I am actually thankful for SIBO because <laughs> it has changed my life and for the better. And even though I'm, I've, I'm so much more aware of medical conditions that I now have, I have a whole gamut of medical conditions that I was blissfully ignorant about before. Um, I feel so much better for it. So, you know, it's, I see it as a positive. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not dwelling on the negatives of what SIBO has done for me. I could, I could, you know, I could beat my fists against the, against the wall every day and think it's not fair. But now I decide to... Uh, you know, go with what life has dealt with me and make the most of it. So, um, yeah. yeah well, I, I'm so glad you have that perspective. And for those of you that don't have that perspective, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's okay. You absolutely so you don't have be to be there. there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I definitely wasn't two years ago. I was <laughs> feeling pretty glum. <laughs> yeah. It's the journey. It's that journey that you go on. And it's amazing, you know, like you said earlier, the perspective that you get as you pr- – progress through uh your journey and and where you you know you, you I would never have thought that I would be uh a podcast host talking <laughs> about my own health and, and and others um two years ago so life's funny <laughs> <laughs> yes it but, is uh, <laughs> it, it is so yeah thanks again and uh we've really enjoyed having you on the show thank you so much I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Katie Caldwell on episode six of the Healthy Gut Podcast. If you would like to get any of the links discussed in today's show, all you need to do is head to thehealthygut.co forward slash Katie. And that's spelt K-A-T-I-E. And on that page, you will not only get the uh, transcript and show notes from today's podcast, but you will also get all of the links that Katie talked about. So you can connect with her on her blog, on Instagram, on Snapchat, and you can also get the link to the SIBO Facebook group, uh, which is a a wonderful group if you are um, currently uh, dealing with SIBO and there's plenty of support in that group. I absolutely love hearing your feedback and what has just amazed me has been the incredible response that I have received to the Healthy Gut Podcast. Uh, We are soaring up through the ranks and it is great to see because the more we can share this podcast with people, the more people that need it can find it. But I need your help. So I'm asking for a little request. Can you please uh, rate and review the show? Because when we have ratings and reviews, iTunes thinks that it's a popular topic and it will promote it more, which means that people that are looking for help that this show contains are more likely to find it. So simply head to your iTunes account and give it a rating out of uh, five stars and I would just love it. I'd be eternally grateful if you could also write a little review. Now something that you may not know is that ratings and reviews are country specific. So we've got some great reviews appearing for the Australian iTunes but we're lacking them for the American and Canadian and UK iTunes or any of the other countries for that matter. So I would love for you to write a review. It also helps me to, uh, when I'm developing future episodes and inviting future guests on, if I can see your feedback, I know what it is that you want. 
Now, if you'd like to connect with us outside of this podcast, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, and Google+. And just look for us under The Healthy Gut. Coming up on next week's show, we have Dr. Leonard Weinstock joining us. He is a gastroenterologist who uh, has a particular interest in gut health, obviously, um, but he deals with a lot of patients who have restless leg syndrome and rosacea. And he talks to me around why those two conditions are so interlinked with the health of our gut. So I do hope you enjoy episode seven that is coming up next week. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or the podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. If you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast, you can make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. With thanks to Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.